Hello, my loves. Welcome to Tea with Kings and Queens, the podcast where I chat to the most exciting he, she's and they's from the world of performance. Today, I'm talking to a titan of the influencer world, UK-based J fashion and lifestyle creator, Adi Harajuku. With a following of over 100,000 Instagram followers and more than half a million on TikTok, Adi's content has earned her the title of one of the top UK-based content creators within her field. She has modelled for key J fashion brands and most recently has collaborated with Koi Footwear on her own range. Adi's personal fashion is based in the Yami Kawai and Menhera subcultures. For those unfamiliar with J fashion, Yami Kawai is a Japanese aesthetic that has an emphasis on dark themes and colours, and Menhera fashion uses medical imagery like pills, plasters and syringes. It's considered event art style, regarded as a form of art therapy that helps the wearer. In addition, Vent art is now seen as an important way to challenge social stigmas and encourage conversations around mental health. Adi's content is a brilliant combination of yami kawaii fashion and style, alongside informative and interesting videos about key cultural issues, including art theft, Asian fishing, cringe culture, AI art trends, and various issues around mental health and neurodiversity. Adi's trademark honest, open and uncompromising style has made her one of my favourite creators. And in today's chat, we talk about her explosion online and all that came with that, her journey in fashion and how it links to her own self-expression and mental health. Just a quick warning, there are swears in our chat plus discussion of self-harm and suicide. So listener discretion is advised. Enjoy the episode. Adi, for the benefit of our listeners, can you describe what you're wearing today for us? So today I am wearing a Shop Secret Heart sweater. It is one of their more recent releases. It's a Nana design sweater, so obviously had to cop it um, way back in last year as well. So finally receiving it was a dream. So it's like a red mohair sweater with Nana's face on the front. I've got a pair of comfortable jeans, which are Bershirka. And then in terms of footwear, it's just like Kill Star Demon slippers. Uh, I never wear shoes when filming or pretty much doing anything outside of the house. Um, and then I've also got some Vivian Westwood, of course, on my of fingers course. and on my neck as well, because that's pretty much all I ever wear. <laughs> Fabulous. We'll have to have a photograph of you on the website somewhere so everyone can see you in your full glory. <laughs> um, how do you decide what you're going to wear in the morning? Do you set things out the night before, which I like to do because I'm just a bit of an anxious ninny, um, or do you wake up in the morning and just see how you're going to feel? Honestly, I really do think it is seeing how you feel. I feel like, especially for me, I kind of, I'm a bit funny with like sensory things and like textures. So from day to day, my personal perception of myself changes. And I think that's the same with everybody. Like you wake up one morning, you feel bloated. You wake up one morning, your face looks a little bit swollen and you kind of have to think around exactly like how something's going to look. And for me, um, sometimes I find outfits just don't do me any favors, even if I know that consistently they look good. Mm -hmm. So I try and kind of choose on the day. I see how my makeup goes. I see how my hair's falling. And then I kind of see what I feel good in uh, when I look in the mirror. So yeah, it's, it's a really disorganized way of choosing an outfit. I wouldn't recommend it if you've got <laughs> something important on because I'm regularly late um, to things because I'm just so I have to do things depending on how I feel. If I if I don't feel good about something, I have to change it. Mm. Um, but yeah, as, as a general, it's a little bit, um, little bit kind of scatterbrained, unfortunately. You have got your clothes beautifully set out behind you, though. Is that a lot of your wardrobe or just bits of it? 
Oh, that's not even, that's, right, that's okay. probably about half maybe. Okay, I keep okay. my favorite things downstairs. So this is my office, this is where I film. Um, right next to me, kind of to my right, I have a big stack of clothes, which people kind of semi-regularly see. And the clothing there is either stuff that's great for videos, um, so it's kind of stuff I'd consistently reach for if I'm doing an outfit video or talking about a certain kind of clothing brand. Uh, it's clothes that I will consistently wear because that's the kind of clothing I genuinely like to wear. So it's kind of my day-to-day -day, uh, Harajuku fashion clothing. And it's also my rare pieces as well. So it's kind of a mix between display, functionality and favoritism. But the rest of my wardrobe is upstairs in my second kind of office room um with all my cosplay gear and that's pretty much all just workwear like all of that has been relegated into the back room away from the main wardrobe <laughs> because it's ugly so <laughs> it's kind of just been sectioned away anything that doesn't spark immediate joy isn't in this room <laughs> how do you deal with having to wear workwear because i think clothes and personality and how we feel about it you've touched on that already but what's that like for you having to wear something so different it's an interesting one because with my like former workplace which i only recently left i could dress exactly how i wanted um and my only real limitation was my own sense of will i spill something on this and cry maybe uh but otherwise i could dress exactly how i wanted and that was really nice because i did feel that like every day i could go into work full face of makeup full outfit and it also allowed me a lot more freedom when it came to content creation it was really nice um, to be able to show that kind of self-expression to customers. It was really nice to be able to so, uh, show that kind of uh, interest in certain kind of avenues of fashion and kind of niche hobbies through how I was dressed. Uh, now being in a job that obviously has a kind of more set uniform, it's a little bit different. Um, I think the thing I struggle more with actually isn't so much the clothing. The clothing I can accept because if it's between getting like stains and all sorts of my nice clothes and just having disposable clothes that are specifically for work i can live with that but actually it's the makeup mm. as well for me like at a new workplace where i'm at uh the makeup is you, you got to be more toned down like you you can't go looking like a member of the kiss army and serving customers it's just not going to happen a shame, <laughs> though isn't it it is i mean the thing is i genuinely do feel like having worked kind of in service industry and dressing exactly how I wanted, it actually did more favors to the company than actually kind of uniform look like, yeah, it's jarring for some people, but then it's a conversation. And I found that actually when people would come in and, and talk to me, they would regularly be fascinated about it. Like they could start off lukewarm with me. And then because I was consistently nice, it kind of allowed them to almost reform their opinion on what they were expecting as well. So they were expecting some like fucking moody, moody, angsty lady who looks so aggressive. And then instead there's just me being nice and cheery and asking how the day's going. And it kind of allowed them to reform their opinion um, and kind of open up a, a fun dialogue. Like, okay, wh what is this makeup? Like, why, you know what, you look really nice. Um, and I do feel like that is something I do miss uh, from my previous job. That's the only thing I think I miss from my previous job. But I do miss that. I do miss being able to to dress exactly how I wanted and look how I wanted. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, I think that is the modern day trade off. And I hope mm -hmm. eventually as kind of more millennials are becoming bosses and more kind of Gen Z are starting to become kind of managers and everything, that need for uniformity 
will decrease more so over time especially because the proof is in is in the pudding like you you do see people reacting more positively and you build up specific customer bases because of that as well absolutely and it's giving people the freedom to feel like themselves which can only make everything better um it's interesting that you say you have to convince people that you're nice because (laughs) some people have preconceptions about how you're going to behave because of how you look um that's always fascinating to me and it links links into sort of things I was thinking about about you kind of being an ambassador for for your style which you certainly are because we'll get onto the popularity of your channels in a bit (laughs) but how do you feel about having to do that every day it's an odd one to be honest I think especially with having grown up being horrendously bullied for how I dressed and how I wanted to look I've always dressed differently that that has been a consistency like when I was like eight seven years old I was a goth and I went hard and my mum was supportive but I was like I was a little Wednesday Adams walking around the gaff the only difference was I wasn't allowed to dye my hair black I did that at 16 because my mum said I could yeah, and as yeah. soon as I hit that milestone I was in my mate's bathroom whacking Schwarzkopf in my hair <laughs> it was time um but it is it's an odd thing to kind of have to do i think a lot of people have have kind of a few set ideas of what i'm like the first one is that if they're alternative they're like this person's cool they could be friendly to talk to i feel safer on this person and that's always the one i like the most because i like people feeling comfortable approaching me i like it when young people feel comfortable approaching me as well whether it's in terms of like talking about fashion because I've had people come and ask me like where did you get that where did you buy that and I know as a teenager especially like finding resources for clothing can be difficult so being able to go up to someone um, and ask where they got that specific thing can be helpful but also um, you know feeling like kind of a safe person to be around because you never know what, what life throws at you and again you know having kind of people feeling comfortable to be able to talk to you ask you for help ask you for directions is always nice um the other kind of preconception is moody anti-social which i think is really old-fashioned i i don't know how many people have actually met like goths or alternative people uh who wear slightly edgier fashion who are actually horrible (laughs) like i've never met them i've never gone up to a goth and and been treated like the dirt on the bottom of their shoe it doesn't happen Mm -hmm. um but i do think people have that weird preconception and they go in with this idea that you know you must be like rebellious and like anti-establishment and which is ridiculous again because you're mixing up so many different kind of fashion subcultures and political views just because someone's wearing eyeliner um but it's always the eyeliner isn't it it's always the eyeliner it's a bloody eyeliner like (laughs) people really do be basing your whole personality on how aggressive your eyeliner is like if it's a cat wing you're a shady bitch if it's like a downward droop um you, you're like passive if you if, if you're gone like under the like lower here and it's like thick that's it like you you're either gonna like cause trouble you're an active drug user um or you're lazy i need to see you do content on this i think we've hit massive <laughs> honestly um, you you talked about being a, a child goth where did your sense of style come from like to where you are now with your harajuku fashion where did that come from oh it was a whole evolution so like when i was younger i i don't know i've always hyper fixated on things and, and hyper fixation really is the correct term for this because 
there's been things I've always been incredibly influenced and interested in and that's just never changed even from when I was like very very young and again one of those things was fashion um I didn't like how other people dressed I found it boring um so when I was younger I hated colorful clothing I hated really girly things I hated all that stuff so I was a tomboy for a little while I had like the jeans the short hair the whole the whole gaff um got a little bit older and I was like I love gothic fashion I love how it looks I would go on google images and I'd look at gothic women I was like that is going to be me uh so I would like I, I was like I need to start getting like cute gothic hairpins and obviously like you're eight years old your access to that stuff is limited but my mum <laughs> not in Claire's accessories there's nothing not there. right <laughs> Claire's accessories stocked my wardrobe my whole <laughs> my whole identity was Claire's as a teenager um but my mum was lucky enough as well to be a very, like, both my parents are supportive, but my mum especially was a real G with that. And she, don't know where the hell she got it, because I didn't even know if Etsy was really rocking about as a reliable kind of, like, platform for this stuff at the time. But she found these weird artisan gothic t-shirts that they made in kids' sizes. And they had, like, these creepy anime girls on them. And, like, I remember them so distinctly because they were so weird. So there was one with giant obviously anime eyes really pale she had like green curly hair big gothic dress that was a print loved it and then there was another one and there was a girl with red hair pulled back really tight so you can kind of see her veins around her face and then she had like a raven on her arm and the claws were dug in and there was blood just dripping down. and she got that shit for me i was <laughs> i was repping it and the kids so the cool. kids thought i was weird because i was <laughs> Because I was. And and I took that through into secondary school. I was popular for two weeks until people were like, hey, yo, like, you look like a goth. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I was going for. Um, and, and then I was suddenly unpopular. Like, they really liked me up until that point. And then they were like, oh. <laughs> and, and then it only ever got worse from there. Mm. Um, but then kind of evolving from gothic fashion directly, my love also fell into kind of emo and scene. I liked the hit of colour. I hated to pretend that I didn't like pink. Pink was always my favourite colour, but like you had to pretend as a goth. <laughs> um, but I, I loved kind of emo and scene fashion. I loved that it was kind of angry, but not angry enough that it was like distasteful. Like, you know, to, to, to the general person, it didn't come off like you were nasty. It just came off like you had something to say and i like that quite a lot so again i kind of fell into emo and scene fashion really heavily in my teen years um claire's accessories shout out to claire's that shit stopped me up i had netted gloves i had they still do i had the ties yeah i had everything anything they had i had and uh, my first experience with eyeliner i was talking about this to um my boyfriend just the other day but my first experience with picking up an eyeliner pen was like a real moment because I was in the history block of school and I found this number seven black felt tip eyeliner pen on the floor. Shit was barely used. Like it was in, it was in good nick, probably been used. This was like riddling for an eye infection. So I don't recommend <laughs> this to anyone, but like I picked that shit up and I was like, Ooh, and that was it. I had an eyeliner pen and I began doing my eyeliner every day and I did big eyeliner. I was constantly Straight told you in. have to take it. Yeah. I, I was constantly told like take that off and I, I would do it I wouldn't do it on the top lid though don't know why I didn't do that instead I did it on the bottom so you That's would do very cool isn't you it? would you would do the, what essentially like a cat wing on the top so like kind of like the basis of my current makeup like that big wing here but I did it on the bottom instead of the top so I did this big kind of weird panda eye and I did that every day I wore white 
foundation every day i i got hard into it and then i began to discover harajuku fashion um through my love of anime figures uh flickr was like a photo platform for a good amount of time right and they had some cool photography because it was just amateurs sharing their shit and they had nindroids they had scale figurines they had a bunch of stuff and i would look at nindroids and i would look at these anime girls and again, as an anime fan, I was like, oh, I love their fashion. Like, what is this? Especially characters like um, Kuroneko, who was wearing Gothic Lolita, and kind of other characters who are wearing very much kind of like Hime, Gyaru, and kind of other sort of styles. I was like, this, this stuff looks awesome. Like, what is this? We don't have this here. And that's kind of when I began to, to look into Harajuku fashion. And the first kind of UK stores that were offering those kind of items began to become available. My mum wouldn't be able to really justify importing stuff and you know most parents didn't feel safe kind of like buying stuff overseas for a good long while like until kind of mid to late noughties and kind of like 2010s so for me it was a case of of kind of having to find a uk supplier but i found one it was called cutesy kink horrendous name (laughs) horrendous name they're out of business now but that was a horrendous fucking name but i remember it because it was distinct but it was just harajuku fashion there was nothing dodgy it was just j fashion but the name stuck out to me and on that website there were i have pictures of it there were these t-shirts with like unicorns but it would just say like fuck off and i was like i want that <laughs> so I, I was buying all of this sort of stuff i was buying all these things um and kind of around 16 when i hit college I began to wear them um and that was kind of how I, I made that move into harajuku fashion from kind of emo and scene but i think kind of with yami kawaii where i'm at now and kind of menhera there is that level of kind of crossover i would say in themes with emo and scene like they have that kind of similarity with the dark imagery and i think a lot of my interest from a very young age is still carried through to what i wear now i just wear it in a in a more kind of refined way <laughs> definitely when did you start creating content about it and what made you decide to? So I actually began kind of doing fashion content um, back in uni. So maybe let's say 2018, I was really into original Lazy Oaf. So all of the pastel stuff they did, the cardigans, the kind of anti-social social club prints, mm. all of that sort of stuff, like the very pastel, semi-whimsical stuff they would make, really into that. And I made a lot of friends through that fashion. And so because I really liked it, I was like, oh, I'll do some outfit like pictures and stuff because all my friends do it and they really they really enjoy it. So I began doing it. I began taking pictures of my outfits when I would get hauls of stuff. Um, I began like trying to kind of play around with eyeshadow. I never used eyeshadow properly before uni. Uni was where I actually began using colorful eyeshadow. Um, and so I would kind of play around with it and just kind of document my own journey on Instagram. Um, mainly for my friends to see, um, mainly for a few other kind of people on the Lazio Facebook group um, to kind of see, because it's still a group that's active, but it's kind of like a little community. Um, And it was only really kind of in 2020, I just kind of left uni in 2019, got my job at September that year, and had moved into my flat in February of 2020. Uh, I began to kind of pick up traction because of COVID. Yeah. I had a lot of time indoors. I was a frontline worker at a school, but we would do rotational shifts. So you would do two weeks on, two weeks off. And so I had a lot of time that I didn't have before to just play around with fashion. I'd also done my knee in, so I had to be at home for a while <laughs> anyway. So 
I had a lot of time to just play around with it. And I would do kind of extreme makeup looks, extreme fashion looks, but they never really got anywhere. But I had a lot of fun doing them. Like I do cool edits and stuff. Um, but during this time, a lot more people were on their phones, like a lot more people who didn't have that time before had it. And I think a lot of people who wanted to dress originally um, had the opportunity to kind of play around with it in a very judgment free zone. And so in 2020, I, I was kind of starting TikTok. I was putting more energy into my edits, into my makeup. I was doing quite elaborate stuff, arguably more elaborate than what I do now. So part of me wants to kind of go back to those roots a little bit. Um, but people began to take notice. It, it was a slow burn for sure. Like I hit 5,000 followers um, on Instagram. I was like, this is it. This is the big leagues. Um, <laughs> I was like, I've made it. Got my first like sponsorship of free class. I was like, kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> And then I had my TikTok and that began doing well. I was like, oh, yeah. look, look at me go. Like, I'll go back to I'll go back to my job at, at the school and I have 30,000 followers on TikTok and, and 10,000 Instagram. People will know who I am. Um, you know, I, I, I was really enjoying it and I was building up this weird little community of people with the same interests. And I never had anyone really look at what I do and, and take a sincere interest in it. And then very quickly, it completely blew up way more than I'd ever expected. Within a year, I'd had 60,000 followers on Instagram. I had 400,000 on TikTok. It, it, it popped off. It was ridiculous. And I wasn't used to it. Um, and so I kind of went from those small, almost like personal photo diaries of content to suddenly having to kind of semi cater content to a bunch of people as well. Um, you know, listening to what they wanted to see, listening to to what would benefit their journey when it came to fashion or makeup or feeling confident in wearing things that weren't mainstream. And it was nuts. Like it really has only been by this point, like by 2023, 20, it's only been about three years. So quick. Yeah, it, so it was quick. unexpected. It was not a planned thing. Like I always tell people this because occasionally people are like, well, you chose to be a content creator. It's like, no, I fucking didn't. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't ask for this shit. I had a dislocated knee and a lot of free time. I was not <laughs> doing this. I was not doing this to cultivate a following. I wasn't out here like, yes, content creator life is for me. No, I wanted to be a film editor. I wanted to like work in, in TV and stuff. And then all of a sudden, I want to be behind the scenes as well. I didn't want to be on TV. I wanted to like do all the stuff that gets underappreciated uh, <laughs> and not very well paid. That was what I wanted to do. And well, all of a sudden, surely now you're doing all of that stuff because you're, you're yeah. writing it, creating it, editing it, but also being the front of it all. What's that process been like then? And what's it been like, as you say, you've you've decided to start tailoring your content to what the audience wants. How's What's that been like? It's been interesting. I definitely feel... It's, it's the cause of burnout. I definitely feel that is what burnout is. I think every creator that gets attraction of some kind, um, you know, they, they go from making content for themselves that they just genuinely enjoy and put out to then having to genuinely consider what other people like, because there is that pressure. Like when you have a set amount of followers, people expect you to get a certain amount of engagement. And if you don't, people are, oh, you dropped off. Um, and I think there is that pressure you know, when money becomes involved, when when kind of fandom becomes involved, there is a pressure to deliver on content. There's a pressure to live up to the expectations others have of you. So you go from making dumb content that would just make you and your friends giggle to making content that you have to really kind of double analyze to make sure, is this okay to put out? Is this helpful? And will people like it, mm -hmm. you know? 
and that's kind of what what happens like the kind of dumb stories the dumb shit i like to say that's on close friends stories you know yeah. that that's that's kept between me and my mates online unfortunately there is this level of uh pedestal and i i don't really think that people necessarily are, are like yeah you're better than me but they do expect you to have this weird additional level of morals moral skills ethical knowledge you know you should you should have loads of money and then spend it entirely ethically but you should also donate to charity but you'll also have to be like down to earth you know like there's so many kind of things you have to fit into which aren't realistic and when you're making content to fit an audience especially a big and bigger audience Mm. you can't make everyone happy and there's going to be things that hit and things that miss and those hits and those misses hit a lot harder and i think you get burnt out because you go from just making your dumb little content for you and your friends to having to really overanalyze what the hell these hundreds and thousands of people want from you. <laughs> Do you get a sense of who your audience is now? Because obviously it's so large. I think I'm constantly surprised. Like, I think I, I know a huge majority of it are people who are either predominantly women or identify as such. I've also got a lot of people who are non-binary. I've got a lot of people who are on the spectrum you know, like, is what it is, you know, we, we we have quite a diverse mix of people. And I would say the kind of group of people that are cultivated in my demographic are people who have felt othered in some capacity. They're people who have felt othered because, you know, they were on the spectrum. They felt othered because they don't fit uh, gender conforming norms. They felt othered because um, they've just had life experiences that have made them feel kind of isolated and lonely. And I, I do feel like Harajuku fashion, alternative fashion does cultivate those people anyway. It, it, it's a safe area for people who may not have identical experiences, but have a shared emotional response to those experiences. Um, and so I definitely feel like a lot of my demographic is very diverse, mm. but also quite easy to do, like lump together. It's people who have experienced a sense of otherness, people who have been made to feel lesser than, people who have been made to feel like they don't fit in. That's kind of my demographic and that comes in all ages. I've got women who are in their 30s, 40s who are mums. I've got like teenagers who are... (laughs) (laughs) I've got teenagers who are just like hitting their teens and just getting interested in fashion. You know, I've I've got teenage lads, weirdly enough, who either want to support their girlfriends or you know, genuinely just have an interest in fashion and kind of want to know what it's about. I've, I've got dudes in their 30s. There was this one dude who I got, I got like beef with, right? I had beef with this man early on in, in oh, my we'll career. Oh, we'll get to the beef. There's uh, a lot of beef I, you've had. I've, oh, yeah. I had beef with him. And, and it went from me having this conversation with him, having beef with him, to him genuinely checking up on me and just seeing how I'm doing. This is a 40-year-old man that works on ferries and it's the most wholesome interaction because he would just be like, Oh, how are you doing? Good, good for you, love. Congratulations. Uh, and this man at first was completely hated me. He had no interest in anything. Like, he didn't care. He still doesn't like he, he, he wears a high viz five days a week. This man is not in the environment that this is his sort of shtick. And yet he genuinely supports it. Um, but I'm still surprised, you know, he was an exception. Other people, are the exception, you, you get people who come across, your page and will surprise you that's really positive um i love your content for the fashion i'm interested in all subcultures of fashion any way of self-expression is fantastic for me but what i love the most probably 
are your videos which are really informative and really interesting. You kind of do bite-sized chunks of, well, the things you've covered are amazing. You talked about art theft, Asian fishing, cringe culture, the AI art trend. Like you unpick some really complex issues, sometimes complex cultural issues. How do you choose what you're going to talk about and how do you go about putting those things together? So really, I, I choose topics to talk about that I have kind of a strong emotional response to. That that doesn't mean that if I'm not talking about something, I don't care about it. But there are some things where it's not my place to talk about it. Like it's not my experiences to to really weigh in on. It's not something I should overly insert myself into. And I certainly don't want to talk on topics that I don't feel educated enough in to insert myself into. Um, but the topics I have a strong emotional response to because I don't script anything. There's no scripting. I don't plan them. I choose a topic and I record it and it's done. If, if I overthink it, I believe it becomes um, disingenuous mm -hmm. and unauthentic. And I don't like that. I like when I talk about a topic for it to genuinely be my own thoughts and responses. And I do still have to kind of think, how do I structure this in a, a positive and informative way? Like, how can I make this a learning experience for people who are on the other side of the gate? And how can I reaffirm the positive views that people already have that align with how I feel about this topic. Um, but as a general, I try to just keep it as a genuine uh, response to these to these things. I don't script them. I, I come across them and I feel it's important to talk about them because, mm. again, my demographic, although obviously the, the, the core angle of what I do is always fashion, it's always self-expression, I also feel that it is important to be a space where these topics can be discussed and reaffirmed because I think a lot of people like to not talk about these topics because their page is just funny and goofy and that's great. Mm. But people do need to know that th these views are important. You know, I have, I work with a lot of small artists. So talking about AI art is important because I need to support these shops that support me. You know, people who are trans talking about topics that affect trans people, like I've dated trans women, you know, like they don't have an easy time. It's not an easy ride. <laughs> you know, they need, that affirmation especially if there's younger people who are kind of on that journey of self-discovery they need affirmation of you are valued you're important and you know i try to talk about these topics in a sincere way because i want them to kind of just exist you know i want that to just be another random piece of content in a sea of content that could just make someone feel good feel better uh, or educate people who maybe are misinformed and kind of need a redirection and guidance into something I definitely say that regarding the things you've spoken about with Menhera art, because um, that's regarded as kind of a bit controversial. Mm. Um, but you're so eloquent when it comes to that. And learning about vent art was fascinating for me and really useful. And in a way, it was helpful for me because it's like, well, I love this kind of art, but I can see why people would worry about it. But then you gave me the, be the beautiful explanation of it. <laughs> Um, and it was like, oh, great. Well, there you go. I just thought it was fascinating. Um, in case anyone doesn't know, can you just explain what Venn art is in terms of Harajuku fashion? So Venn art in terms of Harajuku fashion obviously have different layers. But if we're talking about Yami Kawai and Menhera, Venn yeah. art can be discussions of self-harm, discussions of trauma, visual interpretations of those sort of things, mental health issues. Um, they can be anything from kind of subversive to being very graphic. Um, Menhera Chan is always one that's kind of held up yeah. as, a, as a core example, because regularly she is seen with self-harm cuts all the way up her arm, 
they're not covered up she literally cuts her wrist to transform into a magical girl and i think a, a lot of people especially in the west they're like oh shit like can't be showing that but event artwork is very much especially in japan it's a way of discussing topics that don't have any real structure or support network like mental health in japan is 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 so poor like it's so bad you know salary men are a great example they are expected to go to work for 12 hours then they're meant to go out for drinks so they don't look like they're better than anyone else mm. and then if they don't get the last train home they sleep on the street and go into work in the clothes they wore before and that is that is applauded you know and yet they, and they have ridiculously high suicide rates because of it you have people who can't continue to function because they are in um a system that doesn't support them that doesn't give them the breathing room they need um and then artwork is a way of people discussing these topics discussing their experiences and their stories and their battles with these things in a way that is relatable and healthy and safe um for other people to kind of view and to read into and it, it kind of diverts them from from that kind of internalization and, and further harm you know it is it's it's like when people would say put an, an ice cube in red food coloring and run it across your arm instead of cutting yourself i find that vent artwork is a far more important and and more effective way of doing that because not only is it a way of releasing those emotions releasing that negativity from yourself and allowing others to kind of look at how you're feeling look at the, the stories that you're telling um but it's also a way of, of kind of trying to speak up about them and, and, and fashion based around that is all about discussing these really difficult topics when artwork is, is so important, mm. you know, and I think a lot of people do it, you know, even if it's not, you know, some beautiful piece of artwork, they scribble, they write that, you know, they write down their feelings, it's aggressive, it's nasty, it's not pretty, mm. you know, you don't write down these thoughts, you don't draw these things to be attractive, you're writing and draw them down because you need to channel them out of yourself, mm. you know, and it's not an invitation for people to do those things it's you know it's talking about them in a way that doesn't sugarcoat it but it doesn't advocate it either I think it's so important you've you've spoken about this in more depth also in a recent um, vice interview yes yeah um, which i'd recommend everyone to go and read i'll put a link to it um and again in that introduction you're described as like the uk's leading voice <laughs> on this area of fashion how does it make you feel um it's it's overwhelming because it's something I care so much about mm. that to kind of feel like people look to me as a voice on it is it's a lot of pressure I can't lie because if I trip up and make a mistake like that's it people will remind <laughs> me for the rest of time like well remember when you said that it's constant but it's also I I, I genuinely feel very humbled and honored by it because as much as it's easy to say I've seen influencer culture. I have seen content creators. They are f some some of them are fucking horrendous. Like they're fucking awful. I can attest to influencer culture being shit. It's garbage. Um, you know, and there's so many people I know who are who are very much part of that system who you know, haven't haven't had their moment of of 15 minutes of drama yet. They will. Uh, <laughs> they will. But I like to genuinely feel I'm a decent unproblematic person and I, I kind of feel honored to know that people see me as a voice on something and I know in my heart I'm not trying to capitalize on it take advantage of it take advantage of other people push a product push anything you know my investment in it is from my own personal experiences and struggles and my only goal is to educate and, and make others feel 
more comfortable in their own skin and feel more validated in their feelings when it comes to mental health and talking about mental health. And so it is, it's kind of nuts that I've kind of been put in a position where, you know, for, for a lot of the UK, I am the, the Harajuku person, you know, I'm the woman that talks about this stuff. I'm the woman that wears it. I'm the woman that brings up these topics. You know, I get tagged in so many things where people stitch my content or talk about my content. Um, it's a lot. Like I, I feel very flattered, but it's a lot sometimes. It, largely positive, I hope. You've got a brilliant way of dealing with any negative comments um, <laughs> that I enjoy because you do turn it into something humorous. Um, but how have you dealt with that side of things? I think it sounds awful because I don't like the narrative of bullying being good character, mm. good character growth. Um, but unfortunately, having been so horrendously bullied, and I mean from a very young age, to, to, to really until I was just about leaving uni, um, that really kind of gave me a thick skin. Like as a child, I got beaten up. Like I got beaten up a lot. Like as a little kid, primary school kind of age, I got beaten up a lot by the kids. I got beaten up because I thought I was gay. Like a bunch of kids cornered me, beat me up because I thought I was gay. Awful. <laughs> um, so that made me hide in the closet for the longest time because I can't, I can't, I can't like girls. That's not right. And then in secondary school, I would be beaten up by boys. I'd be beaten up by other girls. It only stopped because I started fighting back. So I would start hitting them <laughs> and I knocked a boy out. I sent him to a hospital, didn't do it again. Um, and then uni, they had a group chat. It was meant to just be the class group chat, but they had a group chat and they would take the piss out of me. And then they made the mistake of accidentally adding me back into that group chat. And I scrolled all the way through and I saw everything they said. These are the people that I spend most of my day around. Uh, and then I tried to kill myself and that was not a fun time for me. Um, and I had the most insincere apology from one of them, which I told them to fuck off in the middle of class. Like I, I'd had continuous battles and kind of being made to feel kind of valueless. You know, I'd had so many horrific, horrific experiences that got so played down. And for the longest time, I didn't tell my parents about any of it because I didn't want them to worry. And having gone through all of that, and it was a lot, it was a lot, you know, I wasn't ready for it. Um, eventually finding myself in a position of, of internet, um, you know, somewhat notoriety, or at least for what I do, notoriety um i was kind of ready like it was tough you know occasionally uh, i i had to deal with things that i wasn't ready for like i had lol cow chime in as they do um when i had uh self-harmed it was bad i have a giant scar on my arm because of this like a big old this was an accident funnily enough it wasn't quite what was meant to happen <laughs> it it one of those things was like that is actually not quite what I wanted that that was a bit more than expected didn't want that but they noticed they chimed in and they've it's now listed forever like that picture of my arm freshly with stitches and stuff is there forever mm -hmm. um and they felt the need to comment on it that that sucked um you know I tried to play it off because I knew people would see it so I was like I hurt myself on a door um but I was like people will see it I have to try and think of it of a reason um but, you know, they, they commented on it and that hurt, you know, that did hurt, um, you know, and, and especially as someone who's always felt very self-conscious, I've had a round face my whole life. I've always had soft features. I've never been a size six, a size ever, you know, I, I've tried and I could never do it. And it wasn't a lack of trying. It was just, I have big old wide shoulders 
or big old hips it is what it is um but again having people obviously comment on my weight on my appearance was always anxiety inducing especially because i could i could tell that the things they were saying wasn't true but i was like why are they saying them mm. um but unfortunately but kind of luckily i was already prepared like the worst things that could happen to me the worst things that could be said to me had already happened had already been said um and so having people call me fat constantly call me ugly i'm like i don't give a fuck like i wouldn't look twice at you like you're out here no profile picture private account fucking casting judgment on someone who actually has the fucking balls to put themselves out there mm -hmm. you cannot be a happy person and as much as i hate to align with what every parent tells you people get fucking jealous it is a lack of self-confidence and a lack of of happiness in oneself that causes someone to make an active effort to make you feel bad yeah. no one who is happy has the fucking time they don't feel the need i don't look at someone who's a size 22 and for some reason think they're less than me i don't even care i'm just like oh, okay uh, hi like uh, like unless we're chatting you're just another stranger in the street i don't cast an i, I don't cast an opinion you know in fact i love seeing people who are bigger wearing alternative fashion i love seeing the mid-sized queens who are wearing like aw awesome alternative fashion i love to see it it's my favorite shit you know i i don't feel the need to bring weight or appearance into it because i don't care like am i dating you no i don't care i i got nothing to do with it but again it, it it's a lot easier to laugh and separate myself from it because i've had an unfortunate history already with that stuff um but for a lot of people, I think if you haven't, if you haven't really fucking gone through the ringer, like if you if you were not the most disliked kid, like to a point that teachers bullied you, you you it is it is a lot harder to deal with, it. and it does get you sometimes. Everybody has it. Every creator does get affected by what people say, but you have to play it off because mm. otherwise, how are you how are, how can you continue? You have to just you live laugh love, you live laugh love, <laughs> you know you, you got. <laughs> You gotta try and find the humor in it you know i had one kid send me pictures of himself he was like look how skinnier i am compared to you i was like you are fugly <laughs> you are I, I i was just there like looking at these i was gazing on these photos and i was like bizarre i was like you have some fucking mad confidence to be sending these pictures over to make me feel bad i was like oh my christ <laughs> i was like you know what at least you're not hiding your face with this one like i not 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 a winning move it did not make me feel bad i was in stitches <laughs> but you know what at least you had a little bit more confidence because I, I was there like wow oh, don't i feel silly <laughs> you're um as you say you're very much yourself on your channels um, and it is so genuine and that's one of the great appeals of watching you I think obviously I speak to lots of different type of performers who assume an identity when they film content do you see yourself as performing when you're making content hmm. is it a character you assume or is it you I think it's me but with a filter hmm. so it's me with smoother skin it's me not chain smoking on my doorstep you know <laughs> kind of <laughs> kind of vibes like i don't i don't chain smoke on my door but you know what i mean like yeah you cut out the the, the messy parts of anyone's personality you know like online there is a certain level of 
you know, do they need to know that I cried into a glass of wine in the shower last night? Probably not. You probably don't need to know that. Who cares? It's not relevant. Um, but it is me. Like all the, all the opinions I, I hold on there are my opinions. Like I I if it weren't my opinions, I wouldn't fucking broadcast them. Mm. You know, and you know, I, I try to make things that I would enjoy seeing when I was younger as well. As a kid that had no confidence, I try to to think about what would be good for me, you know, what would be a healthy level of humour, a healthy level of kind of self-satire, um, and also a healthy level of positivity. You know, I, I'm not around here making ass pats for the for the bare minimum. Like, but you know, if you're going through a rough fucking point of time and brushing your hair as an achievement, then good for you. Mm. You know, like proud of you good for you um and i want to make people feel like you know there is that level of sincerity i want people to feel like i'm the sort of friend that will call you out on your bullshit but it's done with love <laughs> like i'm not there to hurt your feelings i'm just there to to help you be your best self <laughs> um so I, there isn't so much of a, a kind of a, a, per, a perfect personality there's no such thing as kind of a persona on my end but i definitely think it's a slightly more um I think just a slightly more polished version of myself you know like i ain't i ain't coming on here post seizure looking scuffed as fuck you know filming a video you are not going to see that that content is not going to exist um because it would just be miserable you know you're not going to see me being a grumpy arsehole because i absolutely can be as everyone can <laughs> yeah, everyone yeah. can be a grumpy you're not going to see it because who's that going to benefit you know me complaining to a camera for the best part of like an hour is not going to make anyone happy <laughs> You know, they'll just be like, okay, yeah, we got you annoyed about that. All right. Um, I do feel like your channels are like really feel good places as much as you can talk about some heavy topics, um, which are really important. I just think they feel good places to to be. The content's like really positive. Um, you've done some great things over the past few years that have kind of been linked to all of this. So you've been doing modeling, uh, you did a shoe collaboration, um, with koi footwear like what were those things like oh they were nuts like yeah. being able to work with koi was amazing there is more coming there is more are they coming. are they still available yes they're still available right okay they're still available and there is more there is more coming there is more on the way um but getting to work with them was amazing like yeah. they were a really lovely team of people like so genuinely lovely like everyone there is super chill the owner like is there who owns like owns koi lovely dude absolutely chill love him um it was such a great experience and they they really gave me um the platform to to just kind of really educate them on on yami kawaii yeah you know educate them on all this sort of stuff you know i got to plan out what i wanted to happen for launches i got to plan out what i thought would be a cool idea for shoots um you know it was a really amazing experience one that i never thought i'd have and it's the same with being invited to events or being sent like PR from my favorite companies or, or promoting for like Hello Kitty and shit. Yeah. Like I did, I did an advert for H&M, like all of this sort of stuff. It's stuff I never, I, I could never have fathomed I'd have. And to be honest, as a kid with no self-confidence, I always thought I was ugly as shit. I, I thought I was ugly as sin. So to think that anyone wants to see my face for more than five seconds anyway, was a, was an amazing jump let alone that brands wanted me to be the face of a campaign, wanted me to be a face of a promotion, a collaboration, you know? Mm. It, was, it was nuts to me, you know, being sent clothes to, to then be used as a model for their website. I never fathomed it. 
you know it, it, it's been insane really like it I, I I usually downplay to myself how far I've come I'm like I, you know so many people I know have done so much more like am I am I am I relevant you know and I'll, I'll cross-examine myself and I'll be like you're a fucking idiot like this, this is shit that you could never have dreamed of you know when you were in uni like you didn't think this stuff was possible for you you you've done a lot and I think a lot of people have that as well when they 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 kind of don't allow themselves to enjoy any kind yeah. of achievement I'm very much like that mm-hmm. um so I kind of have to remind myself like this isn't a normal thing for to happen like this isn't a normal occurrence like you know not everyone gets this email you know you're just, you're just designing <laughs> shoes yeah I'm like that's just come you know everyone gets to do that no that's yeah, insane everybody gets like a birthday gift you know like a couple <laughs> months a year everybody gets it like <laughs> No, I, I have to kind of remind myself, like, no, this is this is kind of it's kind of a big deal, you know. Like, this doesn't happen. I'm always stupidly excited. Like, I'm always like, oh my god. Um, but like, I, I don't know. Like, it's it's nuts. I can never have thought of it, and obviously, I never planned for it. I never thought, like, yeah, I'm gonna be a content creator. I'm gonna have this. Like, <laughs> I never thought I had the capacity to even be likable enough to be a content creator, let alone have any of these opportunities which are very much visually based come my way i never thought that was on the cards for me but again you know your content is so free of kind of that cynicism of someone who who is out there who wants to be a content creator and i think that's what's refreshing about it um that you're there being yourself with something that you love and that like comes through it all um how do you pick who you work with i love your content um, about dolls kill your exposés on them <laughs> I appreciate it because I I cannot bear them uh, how do you pick who you're going to work with and who's legitimate and who might kind of not be so great to associate with I try and do a healthy level of research so I, I kind of go with a mix of what I already know if other people I know have had positive experiences not in a business capacity not like yeah they paid me yeah. like no have you bought from them were they good uh, and if yes, I'm like, okay, that's already a positive start. Like if they, if they're good, when you spend your own money, that's a positive. Um, and also again, from kind of the way they approach a collaboration as well. Like for example, um, I've worked with Romwe once mm-hmm. and I was ready for that to be a consistent thing because I think one of the debates that had come up about Romwe and obviously Sheen was, yep, fast fashion's bad. It's consumeristic. It's poor. But the problem is it's the same level as Primark. And for people who are plus size trying to find a certain type of fashion, there aren't a lot of options. So Shein and Romwe were those options. And so I didn't want to to necessarily insert myself in a debate that I don't have, I, I don't have, I'm not losing out. Like I don't, I don't have to access plus size clothing. You know, if I access it, it's because I'm looking for a very certain kind of fit on a, on a piece of clothing. Like I love baggy clothes. So for me, that would be the only time I have to delve into that that kind of section. So I didn't want to kind of voice an opinion or make a decision based on that because I wouldn't be fair. You know, I can't I can't be out here telling people who don't have a lot of options what options they should and shouldn't take. I was like, I can't do that. So I worked with them once. They were genuinely great to work with, to be honest, can't lie. I can't say that they were horrendous evil villains. They paid me well, they were very polite, really friendly. However, I found that they were opening a shop in Harajuku. I didn't like that. And so when they offered me again another paid collaboration that was just before christmas i said no 
And so I haven't worked with them since. Um, and my reason for that being in the same way as Primark, if Primark opened up a fucking shop in Harajuku, I couldn't, like, this isn't just a debate about inclusion, a debate about accessibility to affordable clothing. This is also a debate about putting small artists out of business. Mm -hmm. You know, an online, an online shop will always have competition, but if you start to fucking make shops in Harajuku, you are taking business away from very important shops that exist there, shops that I love genuinely love spend a lot of my own money on so i can't work with them i can't work with them it's not right and so i I was very open about that i was like i've worked with them before not gonna pretend i didn't but i can't promote them so that is what it is um it's the same with dolls kill like they'd offered me a collaboration before i used to shop with them very avidly i was like oh hell yeah i love dolls kill and then this was before 2020 uh i think it was maybe 2019 i was still buying from them and then Obviously, I began learning about what they'd done. I'd watched an Emily Boo video on YouTube that kind of delved into some of the um, dodgy shit that they'd done. I was like, ooh. And then 2020 happened, and the Black Lives Matter behavior occurred. And I was like, fuck this brand. Mm -hmm. I was like, absolutely not. And even past then, I remember seeing, I think, Elizabeth Wibley, a UK small artist. I think she had stuff semi-bootlegged on there. I've seen a few people still say that they're copying artists. They're stocking brands that are housing art theft. Um, and I was like, fuck that brand, can't do it. And I advocate so heavily against them because their responses to all of this shit isn't just owning up to it. I think a lot of people are so much more forgiving when you just literally put your hands up and say, you know what? I've been a dick. Like I've done some horrendous shit. Here's how I'm gonna make it right. Here's how I'm gonna improve. And you can see continuous efforts of that being done. They've never done that. They've said, well, actually this didn't happen. This isn't true. And then Shoddy Lynn came out with a belly button out and did a, a half-assed apology, which I also roasted. And I was like, that's not fucking good enough. That's nice. not enough. You know, and then Dolskill responded when I made videos in the past about their stuff. They they made a statement on their story and I was like, that's because of me. Well <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's because of my fucking video, because it blew up. I was like, I'm that's exciting. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, they they don't like me they they stopped sending me those uh collaboration emails quite soon after <laughs> after me joking about the horrendous lolita clothing and everything they'd made they, yeah. they stopped they stopped dming me they did not hit me up um <laughs> um so again it is it is just kind of research personal experience and kind of friends experience um and also just kind of common sense as well so like devil inspired is one that people are a little bit mixed on I've bought from them. I've spent a lot of my own money with them and I've never had a bad experience. So that was my first kind of thing. Like I've been a customer without them knowing who the fuck I am and they were good. Another one was that they obviously stock Taobao brands. And a lot of people are like, well, you could buy Taobao cheaper elsewhere, which is absolutely fair enough. But my argument has always been some Taobao resellers look dodgy as shit. You go on those websites, they look like something from 2007. You do not want to fucking put your payment info in there. I get it. You know, some shit looks too outdated to be legit. So Devil Inspires kind of an updated, easy to access, easy to navigate fucking website that gives you access to it. Like they, they are going to upcharge it. It's, it's how you make a profit it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's the same with any kind of brand that imports goods and then sells it off. Like, you know, I got the My Melodine Android and the Chromium Android for 25 each imported from Japan, but they're like 50 quid here in the UK from resellers slash yeah. shops because it is what it is. You have to make a profit. Um, so that's why I, I, I will work with Devil Inspired as of right now because to me, they've never given me a bad shopping experience. I don't know of any drama that they've been in, any kind of negative um, experiences that other people have had uh, in terms of treatment, in terms of art theft, 
um they really are just a stockist um but again it is just kind of common sense and research but you know brands like dolls kill brands like um fucking Romwe and stuff I, i've had to kind of just give a wide berth because it's not really something i can endorse with any kind of level of wholeheartedness you know I don't, i'm not going to judge other people for taking their sponsorships you know get your bread you know i took the wrong me one that paid my bills at a time that i was really fucking broke yeah. but you know i can't i can't promote it i can't support it um getting hold of the brands you like is kind of a bit of an art form isn't it or it must have been in the <laughs> beginning oh yeah um, and the your video about how to use Taobao I mean it's just all magical to me and I think that makes it more exciting because it's a, more of a niche area of stuff mm. to find um but you have done some content about how to get hold of clothes on a budget or at least how to create the looks of Yami Kawaii on a budget is that doable does it have to be about the brands no brands really I think for most fashions are not important like obviously i i can advocate and tell you like you can find good branded stuff cheap like dirt cheap i've got like menhera chan shirts i've got like hoodies i got for, like five quid like you can find it you can find it like it is doable but i understand that the the time the resources and the accessibility is not available for everyone and so um it, it's important when you kind of try to to build outfits um without these kind of um landmark brands um that you really just think about the aesthetics of it because again mm. that there, there's so many things that are very visually similar that just don't have the branding you know for example yami kwaim and hera is is about the ventar it's about the medical mental health imagery and so you can make accessories you can put loads of safety pins and shit sounds dumb but safety pins are like a huge part of of, of a lot of the aesthetic prints you find in bigger name brands get get buy a shitload of safety pins put them in striped sweaters that have kind of darker colors you know get patches iron on patches sew on patches put them on you know it doesn't have to look polished it won't necessarily be comparable to a piece of branded clothing but that's not what it's about you know, like these fashions are not, let's be, a, you know, let's, let's be, let's be a consumer. They are about the actual fashion um, in the same way as punk is, you know, punk was yeah, DIYing yeah. your fucking clothes. Like you got some tatty jacket you found out of a fucking bin bag at the back of Wilco's. You get that shit. You fucking, you, you do it up. You know, you, you put your pins in it, you put your patches on it, you paint acrylic paint all over that shit. You make it your own. That was the fashion, you know, like yeah. buying from Killstar for punk clothes isn't oh, very punk. It's you know. the least punk thing I can think of. Yeah, like you, you might hit the visual aesthetics of it, but like the actual core of the fashion was rebellion. Yeah, was, and was working with nothing. Yeah, you know, like it was it was people with no fucking money, you know, who would be left behind by society, who wanted to fucking rebel against society, making the best of what they had to, to send a message. You know, and I think it's the same with a lot of fashion. Like you take that, take that mindset, buy secondhand, find clothes that fit the visual colors or the base aesthetic, even the bagginess of it. You know, one of my favorite things is to, to get bleach and bleach paint. You can buy fabric paint off of Amazon for like four or five pound and you can just paint. You can paint whatever you want on these clothes, give them an iron and they're fine, you know, and, and you can wear them every day. And it's awesome. You know, all of these things are doable and DIYing stuff is perfectly doable. And the more you practice it, the better you'll get. Like the first piece of clothing DIY will never look amazing. But it's the same with like the first doodle you ever do will never look amazing. The first, you know, essay you write will never be amazing. It is all about practice. 
So if you're someone on a low income, if you're someone with, with less resources, if you're younger, find what you can and make the best of it, upcycle it, you know, and, and look into the subculture, look into the fashion and find out what the key kind of things, the core points of that fashion are. And just make sure that whatever you're doing aligns with that. And then it's perfectly valid. You know, I ain't gonna look at something and think, oh, you haven't got, you're not wearing OCDC rag. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I ain't fucking getting your tag out the back of your t-shirt. Like what you got? What's this? Like, who's doing that? No one, no one's doing that. If it looks cool, if it aligns with the fashion, then you've done a good job. Can we talk about cons a bit? <laughs> yes, yes, go ahead. Um, what are your feelings about cons? Um, I've noticed cons are getting, the bigger ones obviously getting pretty mainstream now. Yeah. Um, what are your feelings towards them these <sighs> days? I mean, I feel like the best signifier of how I feel is that me and my friends aren't going to any this year. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, um, that says everything. For me, it's a case of, I love MCM. I've been attending since I was maybe like 13. So it's been about yeah, over now 10 years since I've been going to, to anime conventions. Um, the quality of what is there as a general has improved. You are finding less bootlegs, you're finding mm -hmm. less knockoff merch. And in that sense, it's great because a lot of what newer people have access to is stuff that will retain value, that is worth their money, that is supporting the industry. So in that sense, way better. However, they have become just a fucking money drain. Mm. And I, I, I think a lot of the atmosphere of cons has gone as well. Like back in the day, cons were like a community vibe. People would make friends with randos. There was a lot of inside jokes that would happen at conventions. Like if something happened on day one of the convention on a Friday, by day two, someone would be cosplaying it or joking about <laughs> it. Like, it would be like, oh, do you remember when that happened? Like, oh, you know, don't spill spaghetti on the floor. Like, it'd be some dumb fucking joke that yeah. would, would carry the whole convention, you know? And people would, would have that sense of community. Now, um, it's a lot more segmented because the access to kind of the mainstream population is a lot more there. Like, the average person can just nip in, buy a ticket. And I do think that that also creates more danger I think for, for those who are there. Um, I also feel like, again, it's become more consumerist rather than fun. Like a lot of what con is, is buying stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, for people who are new to figure collecting, new to fashion, that can be good. But a lot of it is overpriced. A lot of it isn't necessarily worth your money. It feels like when you go there, you have to spend something to have made your time there worth it. Like otherwise you are getting sensory overloaded, you're tired, you're hungry, you have to wait in line like for an hour to get a fucking mac and cheese that costs you £10. Like it is, it's just like a lot of fucking struggle. Like half the reason myself and, and a few of the creators that I'm friends with, um, you know, have continued to attend is just because people want to meet us <laughs> and, yeah. and say hi. So we, we go because a lot of people want to say hi, take pictures. Um, you know, we see quite a few friends there. Like, you know, there's people I always enjoy seeing at con like i don't talk to them all the time by any means but when i see them i'm like oh hell yeah like rotten cotton cosplays i i don't know why they're like they're like an oasis like whenever i see them i'm like oh i barely fucking talk to you and yeah i'm so happy to see you i'm so happy to see you you know like there's certain people you see and you're like oh thank god you're here and you can just go and chat to and i do love that you still do get that but i also feel like part of that is having a level of notoriety yeah. which the average con goer doesn't necessarily have um 
What about the idea of cons as safe spaces now? Nah, that's gone. Yeah. That's gone. Um, Megacon made sure of that. Um, I didn't attend Megacon because Megacon seems like a fat scam to me. Sorry. The um, name even just puts me off. <laughs> they they ran fucking Talkfest, which was literally the dash con of influencer events. It was horrific. It was awful. It was so bad. So many influencers didn't fucking show up. I was going, I was sneaking. I'm going to, I'm never going to get invited to this again. I was sneaking into the back area where all these influencers were so stuck up their own asses. It's brilliant. Uh, they were all stuck up their own asses. They didn't want to do half the panels and stuff that they were there to do. And then this family, this little girl, like were, were resting near me, like, cause I was outside. Um, and they were like sitting in and the little girl was so disappointed because her favorite creator didn't come and they were like trying to get in line for food and they couldn't get in line. So I went, I went into the backstage area as a creator and just nicked a shitload of food. I had a bag. I was putting in cans. I was putting cans of drink. I was, I was stealing sandwiches, crisps, cans of drink. Sounds anything like a in a time. Pack. Yeah, I was handing it out like Robin Hood to these disappointed people who just seemed so fed up and done yeah. with it at TikTok, at Talkfest. And then I saw people being predatory in the evening like mm. all the influencers got given hotel uh hilton hotel rooms um and so i saw 20 year old creators hitting on a well-known 16 year old creator buying her drinks illegally and then taking them back or taking her back to the hotel room mm. um and so that is the same company that runs megacom i have no interest in megacom and from what i heard with megacon uh last time they ran it i can't remember which one that was but one of my friends attended they said that um they allowed a school trip to come in school kids like a, just a group of school kids not school kids who had an interest in pop culture no just around school kids so you had school kids taking the piss out of cosplayers and again for an average adult cosplayer you, it's irritating but it's not a big deal but for like you know 10 year olds you know and teenagers who maybe are cosplaying in secret maybe a cos like gender bender cosplaying so you know maybe they they align mm -hmm. with with being trans or maybe they just enjoy kind of drag and cosplay is their first step into that and they're cosplaying a character that is kind of the opposite presenting gender than they are that's terrifying you know like having these fucking random kids take the piss out of you when you've paid to be there shit's fucking that's awful i was just there like how is this allowed to happen like cons are meant to be again like a space where nerdy weird a lot of neurodivergent people can all hang out socialize enjoy their hobbies in a way that's safe like don't get me wrong old cons weren't safe i got like molested when i was like 14 at a con some random 40 year old man groped the shit out of me in front of security they did nothing but like there was a community level like there was community <laughs> like existed and now you get the same thing but instead of like outwardly groping in front of security, but having a whole con who was ready to look after you, yes, you have no community unless again, you have a level of notoriety or you're very well established. Um, and you just get like injected at the after party instead. That's what happens. Like that happened at last con girl got, I think a girl got injected within the first 10 minutes of uh, the Fox after party. That predatory element is something that just does not go away. No. That's that's the thing. It, it it's gotten worse, yeah. I think, because yeah. access to being predatory has gotten more accessible. You know, the the ability to act creepy is a lot higher. Like there were always always creeps. I had a creepy experience at least once a year in the in kind of like the noughties and early twenty tens mm -hmm. cons. But 
it has become a lot more dangerous like the stakes are higher yeah you know? sadly I've, I've never spoken i've spoken to lots of cosplayers on this podcast and all of them have terrible stories about that kind of behavior um, yeah particularly at cons and, and it's frightening as you say i mean particularly historically these were supposed to be really safe spaces where you could literally just be free to be yourself and dress however you wanted to where do you go now for that sense of freedom um right now there isn't really anywhere that exists like i went to hyper japan mm. um i was modeling for hyper japan last year for acdc mm. rag um very, very hot big. summer that's a that's a huge con <laughs> now right yeah very um popular the the like the actual con itself was good like i i have always had positive interactions with the hyper japan staff the hyper japan mm. team i just think that the event like the location for it was a miss which is why they're not holding it there again like they're going back to the olympia which is the right choice because where they held it before was not good mm -hmm. um it was like a greenhouse in there there was one security guard um who i will never forget who was an utter prick an utter tosser to everyone but especially me and my group of friends um and that was a whole event in itself um but you know hyper japan is typically kind of there like pop culture and fashion like i would say as a fashion meeting space it's hyper japan um it felt safer like there was more kind of fashion people there uh it was a bit more kind of close-knit you again i feel like my experiences are always slightly more jaded because maybe if i was my younger self and i was attending i wouldn't have known anyone or felt anywhere near as safe i felt safer because everybody knows who i am which sounds like a dickish move but like I buy from a lot of the small brands. I'm friends with a lot of the small brands. So when mm -hmm. I walk through the artist alleys, when I when I chat to people, a lot of people know me or, or recognize me in some capacity for something, whether it's I support their shop, we're friends online, I know them on Facebook, they live near me, they know my page. It's a lot safer. Um, but that, I think, was the closest, I, I think, to kind of that sense of community still existing. But the last con was unfortunately not the best representation of that because the security was not great um and the location wasn't great i'm hoping that hyper japan this year in the kensington olympia will be a lot better because it will be a less stressful venue and obviously in the in the height of summer it will have aircon yeah. um which i think will be which will be very beneficial um but as a general i i think unfortunately cons have lost us as a community and, and in terms of a replacement for that there isn't one like i would even say that facebook groups um that I were part I was part of, I were part of, I was part of, um, like the Lazy Oath group way back when. Um, that's kind of died off, you know. Like I made a lot of friends through that. Um, but that's kind of died off, really. Um, and I, I again I feel like Facebook groups for making friends are a predatory playgrounds yeah. too. There's not yeah. really a space that you can make friends with people in a very sincere way I, I i do find that a struggle like i had a discord at one time which was kind of a goal to be that space but i wasn't able to be on the discord enough to really make it worth it unfortunately mm -hmm. um you know it's it's one of those things like to have a very safe space you have to be able to monitor it constantly and even then you don't know what people are doing um yes, in the privacy it. of messages like there is no I think replacement unfortunately for the atmosphere cons used to have and these kind of meeting um places used to have anymore like you know people have their set groups of friends but you have to think outside of your set group of friends like would you feel safe if you didn't know anyone and you meet them all for the first time mm. you know or if you weren't a creator would you feel safe going there would you feel safe talking to the staff there would you feel safe talking to the vendors maybe not i also think it depends where you're based so in liverpool i've noticed particularly since like post covid 
it's been positive in that there's a few small venues open up like board game cafes and we've got mm. a D cafe now which is a really great place to go um and then also independent cons are starting like mm. little uh comic book cons and little anime cons and stuff like that and i think the size of these things is much more manageable and feels a lot safer mm. to attend so i guess it's just um it's looking to people to maybe start their own things up um mm. but it's it's tricky but i think that's why your um content is a good safe space to to be even if you're just kind of enjoying it at home doing your own thing i think that's nice and gives people confidence um so what's next for you what do you want to do next it's been such a whirlwind for you over the last few years could there be more clothes designing in the offing that would be Ooh. really exciting <laughs> Um, there will be, there will definitely be more fashion and clothes designing. My hope eventually would be to have my own like clothes, like more so like to have more options, have more designs, have more, this, have more that work with other brands as well. Um, that would be a dream. That would be the best. Um, but really, I think I, I never set out to do any of this with the ambition of making it my job, but I think now it would nice it would be nice to have it as my job more so because i care so much about it i genuinely spend so much time and energy on making content on trying to to really focus on things that are both of interest um are worth talking about and again kind of promote that that kind of positivity of being yourself and and, and kind of happiness within yourself um it'd be nice to be able to have that as my full-time career be in a position where that can be my bread and butter i i would happily live on a, on a minimum wage or lower per month for as long as it took for that to be my kind of main my main goal um and it's it's very nearly there it's kind of at that tipping point i think a lot of people assume you get a lot more than you get um with social media i mean america like if if, if i was in america instagram would be paying <laughs> yeah paying bank yeah I, it would be paying well i'd be i'd be living life <laughs> unfortunately uk doesn't have that so all of the all of the support i've had on reels and content doesn't mean squat in terms of financials unfortunately the only thing it does is it allows other people to access my page and, and see my content and, and kind of visit the world of harajuku and and the kind of discussions on mental health and, and kind of general wellness um but you know i think being able to have that as my full-time job would be nice you know i i accrued some debt from covid and everything um so a lot of my contract money has just gone towards that like i, I buy viv and stuff i shouldn't but i do um <laughs> but again people assume i have a lot more money than i actually have like a lot of of the the money i've made from collaborations from sponsorships has all gone to debt it's all gone to paying that off and clearing that um and really for me it's it's being debt free having no kind of financial responsibilities um or having the most minimal financial responsibilities like let's just say rent phone bill stuff like that um and keeping things as low as possible uh, and, and then kind of making making content the, the go-to. But, you know, I'd love to be able to, to work with more brands. I'd love to be able to design more stuff. Um, I really want to do a Japan trip. Like, I've wanted to go for years, um, but for many reasons that's not happened. Um, but my hope would be to be able to save up for that this year and go, and then I can make loads of content on it. And I'd also like to be able to kind of, you know, make, make content about the subversion of my expectations, because I try to have very realistic expectations of what visiting Japan will be like. I'm not going to be out here like where the subtitles are like, you know, as much as people love to paint me as some sort of fetishist of, of Asian culture at times, simply not true. Like I have a very sincere view of what things will probably be like when I'm there. 
um but I, I, i'm very genuinely excited to go so it'll be quite fun to be able to make content on that from a personal experience and also just share some of the cool things i can see there um you know and, and i'd be able to even just pick up clothing for my friends and stuff like that would be that would be one of the things i want i want to meet the, the acdc rag crew in person yeah. you know i want to meet like the, the the staff and the team behind all these indie brands and, and kind of harajuku fashion brands in person you know that would be amazing um so yeah i think a lot of it's kind of just i don't know if if they're like big goals or if they're relatively small goals in the scale of things like to me they're huge goals but i actually think they're, they're not that big <laughs> i'm not out here like yes i want to be on tv i don't give a shit um I just I want to be able to I want to live well I, I want to be comfortable and I want to be able to to do what I love I think full-time and it's just making sure that uh, I have all the savings and, and kind of backing to do that um, because again people forget the realism of actually doing content full-time is inconsistency you will get one really good contract um, and then you might have a couple dry months like in September no, on October or November I had like three big contracts amazing uh, and then I had I haven't had squat since because it's been quiet. You know that's unfortunately what happens. And and if you don't have management, um, then that also happens as well. Like getting management is actually quite important to having a consistent income. So yeah, I think that's the kind of the kind of goal I would like to go for. Brilliant, thanks, Addy. It's been a dream chatting to you. Um, Thank I you. I can't wait to see what you're going to do, on, do next. Thank you. I'm I'm curious as to what's going to happen as well. <laughs> <laughs> Hi again, it's Carly. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you want to find out more or get in touch, head over to teawithkingsandqueens.com.